Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the DC Comics released on the 14th of November 2018. But first, quick little news uh, update here. Um, this is not specifically DC related, but we felt we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the passing of Stan Lee, who uh, died today as we are recording this at the age of 95. Uh, Stan has, you know, limited interaction with with the dc universe uh we joked before about how we're going to dedicate the show to his what if stanley created the dc universe series that was out in the early 2000s but you know just it's hard to be a comics fan in 2018 and not have um both probably positive and negative associations with stanley uh you know it's very likely that comics would that we would not be doing this show without Stanley, just because of the impact he had on the overall comics landscape. And so, uh, well, I in particular am not necessarily a fan of the way he handled a lot of his uh, outside of the pages business, and even sometimes his on the page business. You know, it's truly a huge loss for the comics community and for just the you know, advancement of comics everywhere. Um, do you guys have anything you want to say about Stan? Um, yeah, I don't have, I actually can maybe count the number of Stan Lee comics that I've read on one hand, like like ones actually written by him, but obviously I love so many of the things that he created, so have to, have to give him credit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I just have two things to say. One is that, um, growing up being somebody who like grew up with nerd culture and like liked, you know, geeky shit like superheroes and star Wars and things like that. I knew who Stan, we were talking before the show about, um, the old Marvel cartoons where he would sometimes randomly do like intros or interludes where he would this talk week, to the Thor audience. finds himself or... teaming up with the incredible Hulk. Yeah, exactly. And I knew, I knew who Stanley was before, I knew which characters were Marvel and which characters were DC. You know, I began to associate. My, I mean, Stanley was Marvel as far as like a figurehead is concerned, and the the way I parsed that out was through Stanley, right? To to say what you will about you know whether the credit went to the right people sometimes for his creations or whether they got enough of the financial benefit. Of course they didn't, you know? Um, but, but I figured my way through that universe through him on TV, in the, in magazines, things like that. Um, and then the other thing is that as a kid, I was always afraid of <laughs> like the circus and the carnival barkers or like the fair and the people who like, You'd you'd go through the um, through the midway and they'd try to get you to play the games and they'd like egg you on and try to sell you on coming and you know winning a stuffed animal or whatever. I was always so put off by that and afraid of that. Except Stan Lee was a carnival barker for Marvel Comics and the complete opposite of you know that weird 
uh, midway aspect, I was drawn to Stan Lee because of that. And so, you know, you, you learn, you learn about the serious stuff later, uh, kind of the, the misgivings that we all have about him these days. But, uh, you know, as a kid, he opened up this, this world to me and, you know, you said we might not be doing the show. I might not be reading comics if it were it not for him, right. you know, and those, those early issues of amazing are so far ahead of their time as somebody who's read like sixties, wonder woman and sixties, Batman and detective at this point, like they really do. They, they hold up to this day in a lot of ways. In some ways they don't, but you know, give credit where it's due. Like he was writing comics on a level that other people weren't back then. So, uh, today I was listening to, there's a, there was a New York based radio show did a special on Jack Kirby's 70th birthday. Oh, and yeah. they had Stan Lee call into the show. Uh, awkward. And there some really awkward things where he, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee says every word in any Marvel comic with my name on it, I wrote. And Kirby's like, that's not true, Stan Lee. And, uh, and then Stan, Stan says, like, well, I don't think you ever read a finished Marvel comic to him. It gets really awkward. But in there, one of the questions before that is um, the interviewer asked, like, you know, what are some comics you recommend? And Stanley is like, Watchmen, the best comic I've read in a long time. It's just weird for me to think about Stanley reading Watchmen. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just a very, very weird uh, thing in my yeah. head. But um, I think I'd also be remiss if we didn't say that uh, Stanley's uh, role in Mall Rats is legitimately wonderful. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They look happy, don't they? Um. <laughs> All right, let's uh, rest in peace, Stanley. Um, I, uh, I hope Jack Kirby has a nicer house in heaven or whatever. Um, <laughs> Jack Kirby is God. That's true. What are you talking well, about? He has the biggest house in heaven, then, right? Um, I mean, I should also talk about just today. There was announced a new uh, Furies miniseries written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Adriana Mello, late of Wonder Woman, which ended today. Uh, or yeah, today as you're listening to this, um, we'll talk more about sort of the fourth world after Mister Miracle in a little while. But I think this is a really cool series. I think it's a really great creative team for the series, and uh, I hope we see more fourth world stuff happening at DC. Just you know, on the reg. What do you guys think about this? I'm a big uh, Cecil Castellucci fan, so I'm I'm pumped for whatever's coming. Yeah, me too. You know, I love Shade, the changing girl slash woman. Um, and I'm wondering if this is, I think I texted you guys about this. Like, I wonder if based on, you know, we'll talk about it here in a few minutes, the end of Mr. Miracle, if we're going to get more like a fourth world line spinning out of that and this is just the first that we're hearing about yeah we're gonna have some thoughts about that in just a few minutes mm-hmm. um girl you'll be a changing woman soon <laughs> are you singing that as neil diamond or as urge overkill <laughs> take your pick okay. neil diamond dealer's choice is a cool thing to say <laughs> sure it is <laughs> if this was the 90s 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> I have no reason to think that. Um, let's get to the comics. Uh, we're only going to review five comics this week. Uh, let me quickly go through the lists here um, for everybody. So um, the good list this week is Catwoman and Hawkman. The okay list is House of Whispers, Plastic Man, Red Hood and the Flash, and the bad li- uh, and, and Titans on the okay list. And the bad list is Detective Comics and Suicide Squad. I do want to just say one quick thing. In Suicide Squad, this is clearly the the arc that um, Williams is using to wrap up his run. And so a lot of the elements from earlier in the run are popping back up, including this week, you guessed it, Killer Croc puked. <laughs> it did happen. I'm not joking. That's legit. Um, so, yeah. Um that's like a cosmic joke against you, Yeah, it Brian. is. Um, something we spoke about, Vince, was it last week? Basically, we were talking about how um, there was some kind... Maybe this is even off the air. How there were a couple of comics last week that had covers that were teasing things that didn't even happen. That, like, our last yeah. page reveals. And that happened, like, three times this week on the on these <laughs> Like, Suicide Squad and The Flash um, and... Uh, I mean, it was just those two, actually. Like, teased. Yeah, k- kind of almost Superman, but not really. Yes, no, that was it. That was the one. Yeah, Superman. That was the other one. Yeah. How, like, it, it's talking about stuff that happens on the very last page instead of highlighting the issue that you're actually getting. <laughs> yeah. It's super frustrating. I, I hate yeah. that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really, really yeah. annoying. All right. So that leaves uh, five comics for us to talk about. The first one is Electric Warriors, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Travel Foreman. And, um, Vince, I feel like you have the most, uh, like, you're jumping out of your seat to talk about this book. So why don't you start us off? I literally am. I'm sitting here, like, rocking back and forth. I loved this issue. I loved it. Um, I thought it was beautifully paced. I thought it gave you tons of information in, in like, a regular-sized issue of a comic the fact that it was broken up into like eight chapters was, um, you know, on its face, one issue of a comic being broken up into that many chapters, what, what big, you know, what difference could it make possibly? But I found that, especially, I read this comic like three or four times, and I found that on subsequent read throughs, I could take a little break when I saw a new chapter coming to kind of reassess what I just read, mm-hmm. you know? And it really it really does work. I think that's a really um, subtly genius way to structure a comic. Not every comic, but a comic like this where it gives you a lot of information, a lot of setup. Um, I mean, isn't, isn't that kind of characters? what Priest does in Deathstroke? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yep. It kind of is, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you're juggling a, a bunch of different characters that we're really not familiar with yet, and each chapter kind of makes sure to focus on, a, you know, a different one. And they go back and forth. Um, it, it it divides it up in a really nice way. Um, but that's just like the that's just the aesthetics of the thing. The story itself, it's. It's the type of story that Orlando loves to tell, right? It's probably the most Orlando book I could imagine DC publishing. 
And I don't mean that as any kind of like slight, but like it's taking something, it's taking like deep DC arcana, right? Stuff that that people have forgotten, maybe never even knew existed, right? And because I've read a lot of DC comics and I don't know much about the Electric Warrior, right? Uh, myself, I know plenty about you know stuff that Kirby did at DC, but this particular aspect I'm not that familiar with. So it's got that, and then it's got these protagonists that Orlando likes to to write these like initially very guarded, kind of rough and tumble protagonists. Um, that you feel like as an observer, you you don't, they're, they're tough nuts to crack. Right. And that even goes to established characters like Midnighter. He wrote Midnighter that way. He wrote, uh, this book for, I think it was boom studios called namesake. Mm-hmm. The main character from namesake feels a lot like this character. It's, it's a very Orlando character. I mean, he, he, I'm talking he kind about of wrote like, killer frost that way. Just League of America. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But over the course of one issue already, the the layers of the onion are kind of peeling back. And it's not just happening for this this one main character, but there's really like two there's two characters that are set up to be the main care main characters of this title, whether that'll stay that way or not, you know, but there's the one like human character and then there's the uh, like octopus character, right? And they both have these really intriguing but kind of guarded natures. They are very, they are different characters, but like you feel like there's there's still there's still more depth there that hasn't been explored yet and and but you can feel him getting there. It's just such a really well done uh, world building and character building over the course of one issue to make you actually care about like I've read dozens of books just like this where you don't give a shit about the characters you know and i feel like like orlando gets to the heart of that and and he gets to the heart of that in this issue better than he probably ever has in a first steve orlando issue of a series that i've read yet like, i feel like he's really honing his craft and this is at least from the corporate owned comic side of things this is the product of it this is like the best Steve Orlando developing a world and developing characters that we've gotten yet. And uh, and then plus he's throwing in things like Jokerfish and making like meaningful connections with that, right? Um, using them in an alternate way that makes sense in this world that he's built. And then I haven't even talked about Travel Foreman yet. I, I have a lot to say about Travel Foreman. Yeah, I mean, this is we like. At first, I didn't know how to feel about the art. Well, it looks almost nothing like the travel format yes. art we've come to know. I thought I was like, "Shit, was travel format replaced by Fraser Irving?" Because there's, yeah. there's a real Fraser Irving well, vibe here. Well, I think like travel, like travel. My introduction to travel foreman was on Lemire's Animal Man, and there he was colored by um, Laverne. Oh, I'm I can't remember their last name. Uh, Kid Kinzerski. Okay, I probably just bur- butchered that. Was um, Foreman doing his own inks had, at like, that point too, or no? Um, 
I don't know. I feel like Foreman's style is so different here than when it was an animal man. I know he's done well, stuff in between there, but yeah, yeah. Well, there I felt like it was a lot more intricate. Maybe I don't know if that's like the color. The coloring there had like a much more like flat uhness uh-huh. uh-huh. to it. And whereas like I all of his sub- subsequent work that I've seen has this kind of um, sheen to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I don't always love it. Like he did um, Ultimates Volume Two with Al Ewing mm-hmm. a year or so ago, and I I didn't love that. And this this is kind of similar, but I think here maybe because these are new characters, or and and, and it's like very much a an unestablished thing. And it fits the setting really well too. It does. Yeah, the character designs are just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. I think it works. the The only time when I don't love it is like the human characters' faces. Yeah, there, there's like they're very smooth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. I looked at this art and I said, "Ooh, I don't know. This isn't the Travel Foreman that I that I think I want." When I think of Travel Foreman's Animal Man, I think of like that was a book that was very much about body horror when it came to like, uh-huh. like there were people vomiting up globs of stuff in that and then and like bones breaking and and contorting but even just the regular resting like baker family were they were drawn very esoterically so like it was almost minimalist at times where he would only draw enough of the features for you to get what you needed to get out of it like i felt like there were times where where he would just not draw an eye or something because you didn't need it you know yeah and it was very spare in that way. And scratchy in times. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And this is I, anything but that. And this looks even different. I don't know if you guys read the Marvel Knights 20th anniversary issue one from last week. I, I did I, not. I flipped through it. So he drew that. And it even looks different from this. The human characters kind of look the same, I guess. But but then on this book, I feel like he he and maybe the colorist. This I, the, is high five, by the way. As a whole. This What's is high fire coloring. Oh, okay. And that it looks ex- like Foreman inking himself here, yeah. which I did double check in Animal Man. Uh, Dan Green inked. Okay, so I wonder how much oh, of that okay. was Dan Green's uh, influence, interpretation yeah. of whatever. Yeah. yeah, but then I I feel like in this comic there's a lot of digital yes additions made, digital artifact and things like that. Which is another thing that usually in a comic book I do not like. Usually it sticks out like a sore thumb. But in this comic, I think it looks great. I think all the octopus, the the octopus uh, tribe or whatever, all of that stuff looks absolutely gorgeous. The fights that are on like the closed circuit TV, the like super futuristic uh, battle world, you know, that stuff all looks great. Like whatever whatever recipe went into to resulting in this just absolutely works for this story in this setting in a way that I would not want to see it in another comic. Um, but, but totally, uh, grabbed me here. Um, uh, but I've hogged the mic enough. So Zach, why don't you go? What, else, what did you um, like or not like about this? Well, I already, I kind of already mentioned, I really liked, the the new characters both their designs and um kind of how they're presented here um the the subplot with the two brothers 
was a little predictable, but not not in a, like an offensive way. You know, it's a, it's a very like common dynamic that I feel like you see with those like types of brother characters. Would you? I mean, would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it worked really well. I feel like the the octopus character is like far and away the most interesting one in this first issue. Um, at least to me, um, I really dug just this, like, you know, we talked to to him a little bit about this at, um, New York comic con about like choosing this period of time because it really is kind of like a no man's land as far as DC comics go. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like having it be kind of just like right after this like really ill um defined great disaster which is like a thing a kirby thing in dc history and having it kind of set during almost like the um the reconstruction period of yeah, that, that was the word i, I was guess use. yeah 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 where like animals took over and humans are like getting their rights back after being enslaved for a bit so this would be like post commandy but pre legion yeah is super cool and and now we're getting into this like almost hunger games type competition thing um it's just so many different things at once, but it really, really works. Um, we get a bit of those pages that, again, I feel like we've been talking about. I'm thinking about, like, page six in the PDF um, that are, like, the ones we talked about in Witching Hour, like, in Green Lantern. Um, these, like, really, really well-designed pages mm-hmm. in terms of, like, panel layout. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. This is really good. the The chapters are a great idea, um, and then I, I want to let Brian talk, but I definitely, to if you don't get to it, want to talk about the callbacks to like current DC. Well, that was that was stuff. one of the things I wanted to talk about. Was I feel like okay. um, first of all, I, I love this issue. I think it's excellent. Um, I feel like sometimes when people are going to talk about doing a futuristic story, there are either purposely no references made to current stuff, or they try to tie in like every cutesy thing to a a bit of current DC continuity. And this doesn't do either. You know, spoiler alert, the last page of the issue has Firestorm as a major character. We don't know sort of who that is as Firestorm. It looks like Grant Morrison as Firestorm. Um, that's a different story. <laughs> you know, like Superman's cape plays a big role in this in this issue. But it's not – this is going to sound funny based on, like, when we are in time. But if you don't know who Firestorm or Superman is, I don't know if that will lessen the impact of the story at all for you. Like, it's it's weirdly easy to pick up for any comics fan, even if you don't – even if you have, like, the the smallest – bit of DC knowledge. I think you can probably follow along with this. But because we obviously have a little bit more than that in terms of DC knowledge, those things felt really surprising and interesting, but also organic to the story. Yeah, that Superman's cape thing in particular. I love what that says about both of the principal characters. Yes. 
Agreed. Um, again, I think Travel Foreman's art is really surprising and really interesting here. Uh, because this is a miniseries, it looks... I mean, I'm hoping we just get Travel Foreman art for the whole five issues or... Is it five or six issues? Whatever it is. I think it's six. Uh, you know, I hope we get his art for all of that because I think Foreman's an interesting artist and I think that he and, and Orlando work well together here. Um, overall, like, I think you said it before, Vince... There is so much information that is given to you in these, you know, 20-something pages, but it never feels like those worst parts of, like, The Witching Hour, where it felt like there was just, like, sheets of text running in front of your face that didn't really mean anything. I feel like all the information here is relayed relatively organically, and all of it comes back to matter by the end of the issue. There is not a Mm -hmm. wasted word or panel in this issue, and that's the most impressive part to me is making all of this feel as natural and as um, lived in as it does without without skimping on the backstory or skimping on the readability of it. Yeah. And, and one more note about um, Firestorm being in this. I can't help but think that this is a little intentional because... Um, using him as a bridge character because there is like an incarnation of firestorm in the legion of superheroes i'm like blanking on his name like at the moment um but he he is like the evolution of firestorm That's interesting. oh man i wish i could remember his name right now it's also like you know we were talking about killer frost before killer frost originated as a firestorm villain and so Orlando mm-hmm. has some history with this with this property as well. So, wildfire. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Of course, he he is like tied to the firestorm matrix, or is like the the matrix um, like holder kind or keeper. Of yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it not saying that like we will see that like bit of continuity there, but I I feel like no, you know. Orlando knows like his DC stuff and yeah, it's hard to think that that's like not at least somewhere in his mind. This is a really impressive debut issue. Good call. Anything else to say about it? No, I think, I think it was great. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I I really can't wait for next issue already. Um, well, up next is Mr. Miracle, number 12, the final issue, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerrids. This is an odd issue in that it sort of wraps up this story we've been reading for 12 issues, and it sort of doesn't at all. Um, and I think that like your enjoyment of this issue is hinges on a few things. Um, I, I think that as a, as a pure like single issue reading experience, I think that this is a really well done issue by King and Garrods. I think that it accomplishes most of, if not all of what it sets out to do. But I don't think it's necessarily a satisfying conclusion to the miniseries in the way I was anticipating. I'm I'm very torn on this issue. Zach, what did you think of this issue? 
Yeah, after last issue's reveal um, that this was taking place in some kind of alternate reality separate from the, you know, kind of like New 52 version of the of the new gods that we've had um this like doesn't really do anything with that at all so if you were coming in expecting i don't i mean it doesn't Mm. really i mean it doesn't do it in the sense that no it doesn't place it specifically in a i mean uh, it doesn't ever it doesn't touch on that again really like you don't see any interactions with I mean maybe I read it wrong but essentially it I read it as he's he's choosing to stay in this fantasy world um I mean I think it's I think it is our earth that he's on like like the real world the, like the real world. That's why the cast of Comedy Bang Bang is there, and that's why Lee and DiDio are there, and that's why... Oh, okay. And that's why... Then why uh, can't I get King that Dope Starman and... t-shirt, then? <laughs> that's why there's all these comics, and yeah, that's why there's memorabilia everywhere. When he says he escaped, he escaped from this world of superheroes that Oberon's talking to him about. But he, But he also didn't, really, because the new gods are still there. Because he chooses to... Yeah, right. So, yes, but I mean, that's what the whole issue's about, though, right? Like, he can't really, well, that, ever, he can't really ever escape. Right, right. And I mean, that's fine. That's what I'm saying. Like, but it doesn't like if you were expecting, like me, to come into this issue to have some kind of like resolution to the reveal. And some kind of like intermingling of the two. You don't. I guess what I'm saying is like you don't get a reintroduction of of Barda and Mister Miracle into continuity. I guess no. or into that's. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. It doesn't really deal with that in the way that I expected it to, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that's what I was yeah. saying. Okay. Sure. I, I feel like the. You know, so much of this is against how I sort of read comics that have superheroes in them, where I read it as part of this like linear continuity between all the books that have that came before and all the books that will come after. And I don't think that anything we read in this book is supposed to have any bearing on continuity whatsoever. From the right. first issue onward, this is all taking place in essentially in his head, but but not really, but kind of, you know, it's just, it, it's it's all left very ambiguous, which is fine. What I get maybe a little bit frustrated by is just that I don't like it when we are told something is one thing and it's something else. Like King said that this will, quote, absolutely impact the fourth world characters going forward. And I just call blatant horse shit on that. I can't see how this could. Right? I don't know. I think that remains to be seen. How? I th- I think it. What? How? I, and I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to be cheeky. Like literally, how could this work in a way that it would continue the the story across? <clears throat> like, not in not well, not, not in gonna... a sequel, but like how this will impact what happens in the rest of the DCU. 
it's not going to continue this story, but I could see something happening where there's some sort of soft reboot of the fourth world stuff and uh, Barda and Scott bring their new kids along. Okay, that's not the same as what I said, though. I mean, it is. What do you want? Like, you, you want, like, because, the fourth world now to... Okay, go, be, go. Because what, what happened was, like, all these things that High Father is killed, Orion is killed, all of this, and we were told that all of that was going to impact future stories. Now, nah, we were not told that all of that would... I gotta find... He said... I, I want to, like, find this quote this, now, but that's fine. He said this. He said the series would set up... Yeah, and and what I want to ask is, like... Okay, so now this Fury miniseries that's coming out, is it in this series' continuity, right, or is right. it in... And I like, recognize I'm being pedantic with all of this, you know... Yeah, I mean, that this is the stuff that I that that I don't like about comics, when, when, when we have to try and figure out where exactly this fits in, or... And I think that, uh, to me, that's a problem of the way that it was presented not in the problem of the text. Does that make sense? Like the way that the way this was discussed in the media and all that to me is very different than what we're getting on the page. Yes. And I'm I'm yep. way better with what's on the page than I am with the way it was discussed. But I think that for the purposes of our show we kind of have to discuss both things. Do you guys think that it it that it the point it's making works like do you think that this issue pays off on the first issue i mean tom yes. king certainly thinks it does um <laughs> well and i do too and you know that i'm no like i'm no tom king fan right. or anything but i actually thought that this beautifully kind of brought the whole thing full circle i mean this is i don't want every comic to be like this but i wish more comics would go for theme over plot i agree with that you know and i think like this is like the end i mean we followed this book every month you know that there were certain months where i said that okay this book is doing annoying tom king shit or the dialogue's a little much you know but on the whole i'm so relieved with the way that this ended up compared to something like batman or compared to something like Heroes in Crisis, where it feels like you're you're the entire time you're just being bombarded with plot that is supposed to make you go, God damn, you know, uh, and doesn't. Whereas here you have like a really it's a mix of emotions, right? Like, yeah, there's he could have easily overdone like the sad bastard uh, Scott stuff, right? But instead, it kind of ends on this really warm, funny note between him and Barda. She wakes up. He's in the shower. Instead of being finding him in a in a pile on the floor, uh, blood streaming out of his arms, you know, he's he's upbeat. He shaves. Everything comes full circle, and yet we're not we're not given the closure. It's it's not like this is a happy ending or this is an unhappy ending. It's it's. You know, Mr. Miracle is a guy who whose whose whole thing is he escapes uh, bad situations or whatever. And it's really the comic ends up being about how we escape the problems in our lives, even if 
eventually we have to come back to reality or whatever. And that I also like the, the metatextual comic book aspect of it where, um, you know, Oberon says it. Actually, this is one of the less subtle moments in the issue where he says that, the, you know, the heroes or whatever in the, in the superhero stories are all going to turn out all right in the end, you know, which, which we know to be true. Um, that part was a little bit, little bit on the nose for me, but like the, the thing about him and Barta raising a family, that's, that's the reality of it. The, the superhero stuff in hell, we, we know that that's going to turn out all right. There are no stakes. There are no real stakes there. You know, the stakes are all in real life, in reality with your family and I like, like I said, I don't want every comic to be this way. But for this comic, I felt like that was a really strong point to make. Like all that stuff that's happening in Apocalypse, that's going to take care of itself. And we'll come back, you know, they'll have to go back and they'll have to fight their war. You know, and this time it's going to be, uh, I forget who was in charge of the Calabac was the was in charge at the mm-hmm. time in, in this particular uh, battle of the war. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. just going to go on and on and it's eventually going to resolve itself or whatever um but i i i like that that he kind of flipped the script and said all of that stuff is secondary and then this is what's real you know and it's and it's him and scott or it's uh barda and scott sitting on the sofa you know with their babies see i didn't read that that way i when he was talking about the world i thought he was talking about like the other continuity because the, I feel like the stuff in Apocalypse, like, that's still real. Like, that's I, just part of his, that's just I mean, part it's, of his life. I it's, mean, it's real in the comic sense, but I'm talking about, like, the, I'm talking about the, the, every, every battle that you see on Apocalypse, including in this issue, Barda treats very matter-of-fact. Almost right, cavalier. Like we just need to do this. Well, yeah, because and get I, it over I, with. It's like their day job. Yeah, that that that's what I'm saying. I'm saying the real. I I don't mean like it's not real, as in it's not literally happening to them. I mean like the heart of the matter. The right. like the real. Guess, what's what's in your heart is at home. That's right. Thing, I guess it, you know? again, I'm being pedantic, but I just read the part with um with with what's his name? What's the the old guy's name? High five. Oberon, yeah, as, as referring more to the world that Scott has left, the world that we saw at the end of issue eleven. You mean like the New Fifty Two or whatever? Yeah, the pre, or the pre-Flashpoint or whatever it was. Yeah, the the world full of superheroes who always end up hunky dory. Yeah. See, and you, and you don't think that that includes? I guess. I guess. I don't know. Does yeah, that, I don't think that, that includes the fourth world or No, I think the fourth world stuff is like happening or is I mean, it's clearly been happening cuz we're seeing like an alternate version of it. Well, I know it's happening, but I mean like <clears throat> like not in not in DC Comics continuity. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. See, I I can't I don't I cannot get myself to care about that. See, I don't care when and where this is taking place, you know. 
as usual, I fall somewhere in between you two. Um, <laughs> I feel like I don't care, except that they brought that into it, and now I do care. Like, <laughs> and see, I don't really care about that. Like, I don't care if this like actually affects anything. I just, I guess, again, I'm being pedantic because I think like this is just like a this is this is like an. A, fourth world else worlds basically and, and that's fine and i'm fine with that but then bringing that panel into it last time just suggests something that wasn't delivered this this issue and that's okay it's right. i don't think that, i don't Which think it's is, a big deal yeah. it's just frustrating in a way yes um what i wanted to say before was when you said interaction with the old man i initially jumped to high father because that was my least favorite part of the comic uh, was yeah. the Scott Highfather Scott kicking Highfather in the Nards? I, I just felt that was <laughs> like probably the least elegant part of the issue. He kicked him in the he kicked him in the low five. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the daddy button, the mummy daddy <laughs> button. Uh, uh, you know, but again, a, a lot of this, a lot of your enjoyment of this issue and of this series in general that determines is determined by how much Tom King you can take in one sitting. Yeah. See, I don't even know if I, cause I can't take very much, you know that like, and yet I still really enjoyed the way this wrapped up. So I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, this is certainly better than some Tom King, but it's also, I feel like a lot of the, I, I'm starting to realize that I think Tom King is like the equivalent of I'm trying to think of a band but like the Ramones is a bad example but I'm going to use it where like the Ramones are, are the Ramones you're never going to hear you're never going to hear a song and be like oh is this Led Zeppelin oh no wait it's the Ramones like th- they do what they do and if you like that great and if you don't don't listen to the Ramones and I feel like Tom King is that way in a bit where like everything he does to a certain degree, is just so Tom King that you have to stop getting mad at... Like, you, you can't get mad at the Ramones for being the Ramones. You can't get mad at Tom King for being Tom King. He's just He does things that I don't particularly agree with a lot of times. and But that's just yeah. how he is. And I, I, I have to stop holding on to that. Um, I just wanted to say a couple of things about Mitch Garrod's art here. I I think Mitch Garrod's is you know incredible and is doing really great stuff. And I love how this issue really plays into the whole, like, what we're seeing is not really reality thing, how there are characters that are popping up. Like, when there's a there's a scene right after um, Barta gets her sonogram where they're in an elevator and Orion is there, and Orion is, like, super pixelated and uh, and glitchy because he's not really there, because we're seeing, you know, this issue made it more clear than any other issue in the series, what is, what's actually happening with Scott and what's sort of going on in his mind or in, you know, his, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I think early on, I remember we talked about like, you know, what was reality versus what was not reality. And this issue makes that the most clear. And that's because of Garrett's art. Um, I also love in that sonogram scene, when if you look carefully at the sonogram itself, uh, in the like, uh, and this is true of sonograms. We actually, I was spoiled as to my daughter's gender because it said female on the um, 
on the sign. We want it to be surprised, but it said that. Oh. Uh, but if you look here, it says Barda Big F, and then in parentheses, God. <laughs> it's just such a nice little touch on that sonogram. Um, and uh, but there's a lot of really great things like that that Garrett's does here, and you know, I think sometimes when an artist tries to do this many things in in one issue, this many styles, it can read sort of. Um, it, it can be too busy or it can be just too ambitious, but I feel like Garrett's just really nails this. And there are, there are panels that are really grounded and beautiful. And there are panels that are fucked up and bizarre. And it's, just, it's a really, really masterfully drawn and colored issue. And I want both that Starman and, Doc, and Adam Strange shirts. <laughs> yep. Um speaking of being pedantic, the last panel in the book says the Mr. Miracle series will not be continued. It's new and thrilling successor will soon be on sale. Look for it. Is that an actual tease for anything or is that just like continuing the metatextual thing of these stories keep going on? That's a good question. Cuz I um, I expected when seeing that that we would get news today you know uh-huh. like because that's usually how they do yeah, it the monday before the final issue they'll announce the sequel or whatever right yeah. right which we did get a fourth World yes book. we did and so maybe it's referring to that it, you know i took it to mean oh we're getting another tom king garrett's fourth world yeah. thing a, a direct continuation is how i read it but yeah what do you guys think oh i think there's another yeah and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a uh, fourth world anything or a follow up to this, but I have to imagine there's another Tom King, Mitch Garrett's um, uh, joint coming down the pipe. See, I, I think that it wouldn't, I think they wouldn't do this tease if those guys were doing a book that wasn't fourth world, just because it's yeah. so ingrained in this. But I actually think it's just. A, a metatextual commentary. I don't think there's yeah. a sequel coming at all. That's all right. Also, Scott looks better with a beard. <laughs> Scott Ackerman? Uh, Hot Saucerman? Yeah. Hot Saucerman? Yeah. Is that Horatio Sands or John Gabris with his hand over his face? I Let can't tell. Go back to that first page. I just noted noticed the. Uh, this is getting deep in the weeds yeah. here. Is, I mean, there's definitely PFT. Oh uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I don't really see Scott Ackerman. There's not a good rendering of Scott Ackerman in here. You don't see Scott Ackerman right next to Adam Scott. Oh, down there. Okay, yeah, there he is. Okay, yeah. Uh, I saw it's not the best Scott Ackerman I've ever seen. Above above Scott Ackerman though, is that Horatio Sands or John? Gavis? I think that's Horatio Sands. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking so. Now the real question is: Is that Jason Manzukis or is that Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear. I'm joking. My joke is that they look exactly <laughs> the same. Now, as as Rick Grimes' beard and hair gets crazier, he looks more like Jason Manzukis. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good Dio and Lee. Yeah. I have to say, I think the best one is actually Tom King right under Manzukis. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Anyway, who cares? <laughs> um, <laughs> anything else to say about this issue? It's not what I expected. <laughs> yeah. It's the unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second with the last three books of the week. Hello, my name is Alice W. Castle, and I host Force Ghost Coast to Coast on the Multiverse A Podcast Network. Each episode, we discuss all the news from the galaxy far, far away, from movies to comics to novels to TV to games and everything in between. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Come join us next time, and may the Force be with you. And we are back with Supergirl number 24, written by Mark Andreco. Guest illustrated by Evan Doc Shaner. Always a lovely thing to see in the credits of a comic. Um, Vince, you were the advocator for talking about this issue. What what about this issue do you think uh, bears conversation? Oh, time to hog the mic. Well, first of all... Great. I just want to say, this is a great issue. Yeah, yes. First of all, Doc Shaner. Um, did we know this? or I see I don't really... I don't keep I don't, up on. I, I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe I want to say this was announced, but I've forgotten about it. Yeah. Well, I see yeah, that this moments like this is why I don't really uh, read solicitations because I love to be surprised by getting Doc Shaner art in a book that I already am loving. Um, what a great! It looked gorgeous all the way through. I love this issue because. Um, this issue felt like Star Wars to me, obviously this, this feels like, uh, Cantina. yes, this feels like Supergirl making her way through the, the Moss Eisley Cantina. She's wearing this, you know, the, 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 the kind of, uh, well-publicized costume change for, for Kara, I feel was, uh, or Kara, however you say Cara. it. How do you, how do you say it's it? Kara. Okay. Kara. I always say Kara, and I, I don't know why. but um, Because you're thinking of Gomez Adams saying, Karamia. Yes, sure, sure, I am. I've never thought about that in my life. Except every day when you think about uh, Supergirl. <laughs> Except now, yeah. yeah. Now I will. Um, uh, I think it was overplayed a little because Kara still got her, her regular outfit mm-hmm. on underneath there. But, uh, but I love it as this, like, roguish outfit that she's wearing as she's in the seedy underbelly, you know? Yeah. It's just it it's additive to the mood of the entire thing. I, I, I really think. wish that uh Andreco doubled down on some of the Star Wars stuff and just have yeah. someone say like my friend doesn't like you. I don't like you either. <laughs> right. you know, something like that. But yeah. But yeah. And then I love that that at a certain point she's she's kind of uh in a jam, right, and is and says, "What would Cal do?" And then says, "I'm well, I'm not Cal," which I feel is like a perfect character moment because something that we talk about with Supergirl is that um, she's she's Cal El's cousin, but like technically older, mm-hmm. right? Even though even though she's Supergirl, she's technically older than Cal, yes. right? And I feel like that is something that. You know, in practice, it works better than in theory. In theory, you think about it and you're like, well, 
that doesn't make that doesn't really make any sense for any like characterization purposes. But I feel like we get these moments where um one would think that a supergirl would be looking for uh the grown-ups for advice because the girl implies youth, right? But but Kara's character is very much like, well, you know, she's going to take care of herself. She's Superman's older cousin, you know? There's something inherent in that that just, like, makes sense to me, even though it shouldn't. Does that make any sure. sense? I, I, I feel like that's a through line that I, I consistently think about when I think about Kara as a character. I think um, the sort of the best Supergirl stories do hinge on the fact that she was raised on Krypton. You know, yes, and that she has this totally different experience with that culture than Cal does, and I think that when they just make her into a female Superman, you lose out on a lot of that stuff. That some of the intrigue there is that while Superman is an alien raised on Earth, she is an alien raised off planet, and so that makes them approach things totally differently. Yep. Yep, and it's it's also reductive when the, if they ever turn her into this like the, the if they ever focus in on the fact that she's like young and inexperienced, that's not really her character. There's lots of other uh, youthful superhero characters that you can apply that mm-hmm. to, but but not so much her. Uh, you know, adapting to Earth and and living amongst humans, maybe, but. As far as like holding her own in a fight, or uh, you know, trying to investigate something of an alien nature, definitely not. You know, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Um, there were there were some other things I liked, but I want to hear from you guys first, and then maybe we'll. If you don't mention them, I'll go back to them. So, uh, Zach, what do you think? Um, I. This issue is great. I don't. I don't have a ton of like specific things to say about it as much as I maybe do um, Superman, which we'll get to. Um, but uh, you know, echoing all the things that you said about like her characterization here is fantastic. And then just like, of course, the art and and the Star Wars vibes, big time. Yes, like that is, is huge in this issue. Um, yeah, this issue was just a ton of fun. I liked the the Colwyn character who's introduced uh-huh. towards the end. Yeah, I'm a little tired of Chris Pratt being in everything, but <laughs> that but, yeah. is the literal love child of Star Lord and Gamora. Yeah. <laughs> um. But no, yeah. Um, this issue was really good. Uh. We have to give a shout out to an amazing crypto uh, appearance. Yeah. Um, ambush bug. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, it was fun seeing ambush bug here. Oh, uh-huh. I forgot to say something about ambush yeah. bug. Man, I love ambush bug. I I have a weird attachment to him because he was featured so prominently in the Giffen Doom Patrol run. I thought you were going to say as the anchor of Channel 52. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I'm a stinker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, love that ambush bug. Yeah, yeah. He's my favorite uh, 
40-year-old, 100% clean millennial comedian. <laughs> You'll make that joke at every opportunity you get. Um, I feel like we never really see... like uh, What I thought was an interesting touch in this issue was Andrako treating Kara's um, solar energy level the way that a Green Lantern ring is treated. Yeah. Like that's something we never really see, and I think it's a really smart thing to put in here. And I hope it's not something we're going to see every week because it's just those type of tropes do get a little bit tiresome. But I felt it was a really unexpected thing for Kara to go through. Yeah. Also, Doc Shaner is dope. Doc Shaner, yep. That that scene where the um, Xander Cole, I believe, was his name, uh, and and Kara are sitting in the spaceship and kind of like pensively looking back and forth at one another. <laughs> Very good, good Shaner stuff there. Yeah, I also really like the use of Rogelzar's axe here. How that's like an artifact known across the galaxy. I always think it's fun when, like, Arcana like that becomes, uh, f- you know, a-, a major plot point in an issue. And that's something that, like, yeah. I- I'm sorry, Zach, to cut you off, but I, I feel like sometimes um, we're expected to believe that stuff on Earth. Like, oh, everyone knows that Gotham has the world's largest uh, Ferris wheel. That's common. Like, that. that's not what I'm talking about. But something like in space like this, there could be... There's thousands of things we'd have no idea about. And so it doesn't feel disingenuous to make that item something big in another galaxy or whatever. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Zach? I was just going to make a joke about that scene in Justice League of America where, uh, where Jeff Johns has Hogman drop his mace <laughs> on the table. And... <laughs> Not my blood. Not my blood. <laughs> yeah. This is a good issue. This book is good. This book will probably be appearing on my Multiversity Year End list. Mm. I'm not big of a fan of this book. Dang. It's good. Uh, Speaking of good, we got Superman number five, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Zach, you said you had a lot to say about this issue, so why don't we start with you? Oh my goodness! This is this is Zachnab. Well, the, that <laughs> first couple of pages, I was like, yeah, man, yeah. I can hear boners popping left and right here. <laughs> I mean, let's just like talk about what we've got here. So we out for like, new Krypton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's this it's this new Krypton fantasy here where we've got um, the whole House of Zod, which like I'm sorry, Bendis has clearly been reading. <laughs> Jurgens' action comics really hard. Um, he read the whole thing probably twice. <laughs> it's confirmed here. No questions ever. No one ask. No one question it. it he did it. Um, and he's meeting with um, the House of L, which here is is you know Clark. John is there. Uh, <laughs> Kara is uh, in some pretty cool armor uh jimmy olsen is hulked out <laughs> which is so dope uh and and lois is wearing the superwoman costume again 
Uh, which double nip, by the way. Uh, what? I, three nips, not nipples. I thought she had. I thought she had cut out cut out nipples. Yeah, yeah, not at all. No, no. I mean, you know. And then and then Candor is here too, and 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 you know, it's incredible. And then it's all this, just this dream that that Zod's been having, um, because he's he's drinking too much of that (laughs) Jukul spirits. That is the name of the planet, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that... Yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with Jakku. No. Not to be confused with all the jewel. <laughs> Zod vapes. We all know Zod vapes, right? <laughs> oh, Zod vapes are really hard. Also, no question. Um, confirm. Vape before Zod. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Candor, yeah, more that, like vapor. That'll... <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, all of that was too good, and has me hoping way too much that we're actually gonna like. Oh, Bendis, why would you well, do this it, to me? I want this to happen so can, much. Can I jump in for one second here, Zach? Yeah, yeah, one of the things ahead. I think that Bendis has, has been so great at with the Superman books is, like, we have had very little interaction with Zod so far in Superman, right? Little bits here and there. But this little, like, three or four page dream sequence gave us more character work in Zod than than either uh, Jurgens or Venditti did in all of their Rebirth stuff with Zod. Or or Rob Williams yeah. when he was in Suicide Squad, like just just this yeah. like one little thing, it gives you such insight into Zod's character, and it's just a perfect little thing. And I feel like Bendis keeps dropping these little teasers throughout the super books of just perfect characterizations of these people, and give us teases of what's could, what could be coming or what may not be coming. But just you get the idea that he has really thought about these characters and that he knows who these characters are, and he is establishing things that hopefully will be a part of these characters' stories going forward. And it's just so mm-hmm. refreshing to see that sort of long-term storytelling uh, played out in a way that doesn't feel like it, it, it doesn't feel cheap or, or just like, I don't know. I just think it's, it's so great. No, I definitely agree with you. And, and just that, that little sequence really sets up kind of the, the crux of the the issue and the you know the last page reveal that is uh you know um foreshadowed telecasted by the by the cover or whatever but i actually you know we, i actually like care that zod is here and is teaming up with superman and they are seemingly on the same side and and it was it was a really satisfying moment i felt like um whereas I think without that opening sequence it wouldn't have been. Agreed. Absolutely. Um but uh let's t- I mean like oh gosh, I don't want to hog the mic here either, but there are so many other like great moments in this issue. Um the payoff Did on I the do the Adam right Strange thing gag that's been going. Um, <laughs> when the Adam asked did I do the right thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. Um, and then oh, there was one other thing. Oh, the moment with Clark and the vision of the Kents. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, that was perfect. 
And that's one of those moments where, like, certainly not the first time we've seen that done, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's one of those necessary, necessary for your Superman run moments that you just have to hit, right? And you got to do it fairly early, I think. And Bendis does it, and Reyes pulls it off, and it's it's really beautifully done, even if it's a moment that's not exactly novel uh, from a thematic standpoint. Not only that, it I feel like that moment was great because of the emotional tie to the Kents there, but it also does something really important, whereas it gives Clark an idea of how to proceed. And I feel like so many times, because he is so powerful, we don't get to see Clark have that like gears clicking into place moment. And I think it's important mm-hmm. to show that not only is he the most powerful person in the DC universe, but he's also one of the smartest in terms of like, you know, he's able to do things, not just by flying at them and punching them. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think this was maybe my favorite issue of this series. So far. I, I agree. Not of the Bendis run in general, but of this series. Yeah. Yep, I concur. Vince, anything to add? Man, I just, I just, yeah, I just love that we have these like, if you count like what Man of Steel was, and then these three series that are running together, there are just like these very distinct flavors. I guess this is probably the one that's most like Man of Steel. Um, But you definitely have like these three distinct flavors of Superman that then just like blend together in this this masterful dish (laughs) so here's i I did have one thought today because i guess we're now i think we're halfway done with adventures of the super sons right no i think didn't we just have the the sixth issue i I could be wrong it could be the fourth fifth Fifth, okay fifth as um, usual vince was somewhere between us as usual (laughs) (laughs) but i wonder if we're gonna i wonder if at the end of that year is when we're gonna see john again like if they're holding off to finish that story first see i I thought he was coming next issue i thought that i had read that in the solicits i think he might have a i think he might pop up i don't know if he's back yet or not does that make sense maybe yeah yeah um because I'm he I I could totally see it being like a last page thing where we see what him and and Zorel are up to. Jorel. Yeah, that's what I meant. Unless he's with his uncle. Yeah, <laughs> Krypton. My bad. His great uncle. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And you're right, Vince. It is pronounced Krypton. New Krypton. Actually, and maybe it's not even. It actually looks like it's issue seven. Is the one I'm thinking okay. of. Yeah. What does the solicit say? Do you see? It? Do you have it there? Uh, Vince, uh, do you want to cover your ears? <laughs> it's fine. You're not reading it out of alphabetical uh, order or anything. Been... <laughs> it's the moment you've been waiting for, the shocking return of the son of Superman. A year spent traveling the stars changed on Kent. Our parents, Clark and Lois, ready for the all-new, all-different Superboy. Oh. Secrets are revealed, a new look debuts, and Superman's world has changed forever. Ooh, I just had a thought. That comes out in December? January? January. What if that's... What if John is the? No, I guess it wouldn't do that. John won't be Connor. But like that's happening the same time as Connor shows up. Mm, yeah, yeah. I see what um, you're saying. What if they come back with Connor? Ooh, that's interesting. That is interesting. Like, hey, look what we found <laughs> out in 
<laughs> wow. Anyway. Um, anything else about Superman? I I couldn't have enjoyed I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Yeah. It's a super super fun issue. Um, and that brings us to our final issue of the week: Wonder Woman number fifty-eight, the first issue of a new run, written by G. Willow Wilson, illustrated by Carrie Nord. Um, I really enjoyed this issue, and there were a couple of really fun moments in this issue. But unfortunately, I don't think I have a ton to say about this yet. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. My biggest surprise is how much this builds directly off of Robinson's run. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think it was, uh, I think it was I think... head and shoulders better than Robinson's issues. Oh, God, yeah. Um. So I think... This one's complicated. I I liked it. I think it was good on the whole. I think because because it was taking so much from Robinson's run and kind of the general shit that DC seems to want to be setting up with Wonder Woman, or at least maybe not setting up, maybe knocking down. Maybe they're trying to trying to get past all this stuff. But uh, you know, it seems that G Willow Wilson is the one they hired to do that, and and I think in that way. I think there's stuff in the voices here in the characters that is definitely G. Willow Wilson, and I really appreciate it. Some of the political stuff that that uh, Diana talks about, um, kind of some of the subtext is definitely it's a G. Willow Wilson book. But I feel like that attachment to previous plots keep it from being as distinctly uh, Wilson as it could be. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I, I I anticipate that down the road it might get more that way. And, and I don't know how long her run is going to be, but what were you going to say, I Brian? I was going to say that I, I think that, you know, all of the shit that happens in the front part of the book, which is all directly playing off Robinson, is all to get you to that final page reveal of like a right. new younger Ares. If yep. that's the story that Wilson's telling. Looking like Steve Trevor. Yeah. If that's the story that that Wilson's going to tell, then I understand why they had to bring Grail and all that into this. I hope that she's not that Grail's not a major player going forward, and I hope that Wilson uh-huh. is telling her own story. But I also think that DC is way more mindful lately, and especially in Wonder Woman. Like uh, Steve Orlando was playing with stuff from the um, Shea Fontana run. You know, I think for whatever reason they want to keep this continuity relatively connected right now, and so um, I wouldn't be surprised if that stuff is de-emphasized in future issues of this arc. But they felt they needed to connect what just happened to to what's happening now. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Definitely. One uh, surprising thing I didn't expect was that not only is she pulling from Robinson's run, she's pulling from Meredith Finch's New 52 Wonder Woman run. Really? Uh, so. Yes. The characters that show up with that little boy mm-hmm. towards the end, 
those are characters directly from Meredith Finch's run. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Irene, I believe is the name, E-I-R-E-N-E, mm-hmm. has appeared in seven issues of Wonder Woman, all written by Meredith Finch. Oh. So there you go. I thought you were going to say you were well, surprised that Wonder Woman slapped Steve Trevor's ass and he didn't fly through the window. <laughs> you know he's got buns That's of true. steel. He's been doing those Tybo workouts. <laughs> Billy Blanks. <laughs> Sorry, Zach, what were you going to say? Uh, I don't remember. About the... the um... Oh, I was just going to say, like, good on G. Willow Wilson for for pulling that back in. You know, I didn't I didn't read that run even though it was so kindly gifted to me by <laughs> by you, Brian, yep. <laughs> part of it. Um, Hardcover, but, baby. I mean, I, I'm sure, like, the Finches... <sighs> whatever. <sighs> that run was problematic, but it was cool that, you know, a a female creator was actually, like, Riding Wonder Woman for a time. Um, yeah, what a weird concept. I know, I know, yeah. And um, then she had naked Donna so, Troy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's cool to see to see those threads like continuing and not just tossed aside, I guess. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I still have high hopes for this run. Uh, this but does by this by no means diminishes my hope for what this series can be going forward. I just I, I think we were all hoping for more of like a clean slate to begin with for her, and that is not what we got here necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say I I think that this is you know going back to our. Uh, late motif of Bendis reading uh, Jurgen's Action Comics run. I think that in general, especially with Superman and Wonder Woman, DC has been way better about not just throwing things away when new creative teams come on. I mentioned this before with Wonder Woman, but we think about with Superman too. Like Bendis has picked up on almost everything that was done in the first two years of Rebirth with Superman, and so it's it's nice to see. DC trying to make its continuity work, even if sometimes it would be easier to just not worry about it too much. Yeah. Yeah, and we even seen a little bit in the first issue of the Green Lantern, you know, that's... With the power batteries, uh, with, with the, with the uh, lantern itself being like... On yeah, Oa. yeah, new Oa, yeah. those things. Um, yeah, I feel like they were a lot quicker to dismiss a lot of those kinds of things in the new 52 era yeah um yeah agreed um overall i i kind of think you know we'll probably have this conversation more in earnest in uh in january or february but i feel like some of the recent changeovers and creative teams like you know we have pete tomasi coming up a detective we have the, the wilson you know shift just happened we have the Bensons leaving Green Arrow. You know, uh, there's a lot of sort of change coming. Do you guys think that DC is starting to course correct from some of the things of Rebirth that they feel weren't working, or do you think this is just sort of the regular churn of uh, 
of creators? I think it still kind of just feels like churn to me for the most part, but not, not in a bad way. Um, yeah, I, th- I don't know. I think it's, I think it's the regular churn, but there's something going on with the, with the Titans era characters that, that I don't like that feels a little different to me, you know? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like all all that stuff happening at once still leaves a sour taste in my mouth. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't think I would think, "Oh, this is all just normal." But because of that, I'm thinking that it almost feels more like the brain power behind the new 52 kind of re retaking hold, you know. Part of me thinks though that like the way that Scott, I, I don't know if you guys read the uh, Scott Snyder interview, you have not heard it yet because the episode that it's on doesn't come out until after we've recorded this episode. But Snyder said that, like, everything that DC is doing is right now is going to culminate next autumn. Like, a year from mm-hmm. now, all this stuff's going to come together. And I wonder if there's not, like, a big Titan story happening that just feels like it's all negative right now, but we'll eventually be able to say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because it just seems, again, so antithetical to what Rebirth is to keep killing off these Titans. Yeah. I I hope so. I'm, I'm, oh, man, you got me giddy. Yeah. That sounds good. I kind of, you know, I'm reading Legends right now, coming out of Crisis, and uh, I I like that feel where like everything is moving in this one direction and there's hints of everything in one another's books and there's a real unified feel that even if not every even if not every title is great they're they're all all the ores are kind of moving in the same direction and at the same time yeah absolutely I, I like that feel so uh, next week we have um, the first issue of American Carnage the new Brian Hill. Uh, Vertical book, which I actually got to do an advanced review of a few months ago. It's good. Uh, it's an exciting Ooh. book. Um, so check that out, folks. Uh, we got uh, both the next issues of Justice League and Aquaman, which tie into Drowned Earth. We have Justice League Dark. Uh, and then we have a bunch of Drek next week. Next week's <laughs> a rough week. Next week we got Teen Titans. Cover. We, like, we, we like do like cover. cover. Teen Titans has been okay, and sideways we are, we're always sort of on the fence about. But you got uh, Nightwing, Harley Quinn, which is fine, Damage, Batman. You know, yeah, yeah it's Pearl, a week. <laughs> Lucifer. Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. What's frustrating is like due to this new format, I never like it when you can look at a week before reading a single issue and be like, oh, these are the books we're going to talk about. And, and this looks like one of those weeks, you know? Yeah. yeah. There could be some surprises. I think that is one of the things, too, with it, though, is, like, in one of these weeks where there's nothing that really stands out um, outside of, like, you know, a new number one, um, you could have some surprises. Yeah. It it makes the surprises that much uh, richer. Sure, I think, I think so yeah. too. Yeah, we're, we're gonna get hoodwinked and and we're gonna like it. No, it's a uh, wingman. 
That's a stinger. It's got to be your ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just looking up now. We should be only a few weeks away from Batman and the Outsiders, number one. Oh, yeah. It should be coming out real soon. I'm excited about that. We're two. We're ostensibly two weeks away from another issue of Doomsday Clock, right? Oh God, no, no, because that's that's every, uh, it's by, that's every two months. Did it get pushed again? Oh no, you're Are right. You're right. The twenty eighth. We're getting that. Yeah, yeah. and Wait. then here in Heroes in Crisis too. Also, oh. oh, you're right. We're on seven. No, we're on eight. D- yeah, we're on eight. DC's website says the fifth of December. Oh, okay, so it got pushed, pushed a week. Um, that's all right. <laughs> I'm fine. Oh, but then, but then they say number nine is coming out in January. That can't be right. Nine, number nine. Uh, Batman number who nine. laughs in December comes up before Batman and the Outlaws. Really? I mean, before Batman and the Outsiders. Batman. I guess so. Martian Manhunter, baby. Yeah. The next few weeks are going to be exciting. Zam. Yeah, Batman who laughs is second second week of December. Yeah. I have to say, like, that's one of the things Snyder talked about in our interview, and I think he's been saying more and more lately, how that book was planned during Metal as an important part of this big DC mega story. Mm. And so that's, because to me, that just seems like, you know, a cash-in type miniseries. Um, Yeah. And he he also keeps saying that there's another book they haven't announced yet, that they're announcing Mm -hmm. real soon that'll be a part of this. And so I think that the February solicits might have... Whatever that whatever stuff. that issue is, yeah, yeah. So we should get those solicits a uh, week from today, as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Yeah. Oh, Shazam and Doomsday Clock are both on the fifth, so double, double John's dose that day. Yeah. Mm, double nip. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I just wanted to say that again. We'll see. Well, if you want to see our double nips, hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I am at Brian is an app. I'm at Wilker Fox. If you want to get Vince's attention, the best way to do it is to uh, pay off Brian Bendis to write a message to Vince in some of his Superman dialogue. <laughs> I'll be on one of those post-it notes exactly, at the beginning yeah. of an issue of Action Comics. Yeah, exactly. And uh, text text Vince and call him a liar again. <laughs> That's a throwback. And. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch you next time. Sorry for the shorter-than-usual episode. We're tired. <laughs> and we talked for an hour beforehand for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Get that good content. You'll, You'll never, never hear it. it. It'll go to the grave with us. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Yep, fantastic. Great society. And now Pikachu's a cop. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a... Oh, man. Well, there's a stinger.